When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into episode 153 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's episode, we examine the state and the future of the Virginia Tech football program and analyze what happened on Saturday in Heinz Field as Pittsburgh beat Virginia Tech 47-14. It's all coming up on episode 153 of the Tech Sideline podcast that gets started right now. Whether you are watching live on YouTube or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, nearly 10 different ways to consume the Tech Sideline podcast. We're so glad you could join us as we record on Monday morning, November 23rd. Our crew today, we have our managing editor, Chris Coleman, with us, our general manager and founder, Will Stewart. The best podcast producer in the land. He's working on break, folks. He does it all. Malcolm Stewart behind the (laughs) scenes. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. If you have a question for Will and Chris, believe me, we will get to all of them towards the end of the show. Go ahead and drop it in the YouTube chat, and we will read them at the end of today's show. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to hit the like and subscribe button. Malcolm told me before the show today that we've eclipsed the 3,000 subscriber mark on YouTube. So thank you so much to everybody who's been watching the show, archive the other great content we put on our YouTube channel. We greatly appreciate it. So by the way, let me jump in there. The the most watched video we've ever had is an original content. Um, It was the inner Sandman entrance from the Notre Dame game. What year was that? 2018? Uh, the 2018 Notre Dame game, I, I just basically took the six and a half minutes of Inner Sandman as ESPN presented it and put it up on YouTube, and it went over a million views the other day. Right. When I, when I was in uh, South Bend last year, I had Notre Dame fans tell me, man, I was in Blacksburg last year, and y'all's entrance was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully we can get back to that at some point. Yep. <laughs> This weekend, every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free. The number is 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. 680-7031 or email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Do want to say for those that are watching live right now, if you are listening, that uh, we are recording at 10 in the morning on Monday. Coach Justin Fuente is slated to have a press conference later in the morning, potentially the early afternoon. So if there are any comments that are made 
Uh, we will discuss that on a later podcast. Yeah, he's scheduled for 1130 today. They're doing a full media schedule this week, which surprises me. I'm surprised me they didn't take the week off. <laughs> I think I would have taken the week off. Yeah, I mean, they're doing coach today and players I would have at least given the players off tomorrow. Yeah, I know. And maybe maybe they still will. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It is a uh, busy week in Virginia Tech athletics as men's and women's basketball tip off their seasons on Wednesday. Football has that much-needed bye week, as Justin Floyd had talked about in his post-game press conference. And then back to the football schedule next week when Virginia Tech hosts number four Clemson. Well, on Saturday, Virginia Tech lost 47-14 to to Pittsburgh inside of Heinz Field. Chris, what happened to the Hokies on Saturday? <laughs> I mean... I think I've said this the last two or three podcasts, but I, I didn't learn anything new. Right. Um, Tech's just not big enough, strong enough, tough enough, mean enough on defense. We already knew that. And offensively, you know, the, the receivers struggle to get open, and, and then Hooker struggles to get past his first read. And we saw all of that. And – I do think at this point, you know, there was a lack of mental sharpness as, as the game went on. I mean, I can say this as a former football player. A lot of times you reach a certain point in the game, and the game only be, might only be half over or whatever, but you know whether you're going to win or whether you're going to lose. And I, I think after Tech got stopped at the one-yard line and then Pitt went 99 yards, everybody knew. I mean, the players knew they were going to lose. Yeah, at, and, that, at that point, it was twenty-three to fourteen, right? Yeah, and and Tech got stopped. Right. And, so, so it, yeah. So it goes from probably being twenty twenty-three to twenty-one, right? To uh, and you just keep thirty-three to fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've I've been a part of of plenty of games like that before, and you know you 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 know you're not going to win. And you lose your mental focus down the stretch, and it gets worse than it it would have been otherwise, right? Yeah. Um, so it's the same issues, and then you know they obviously uh, snowballed down the stretch for Tech uh, the, the, this time. But uh, it's, it's like again, I didn't learn anything new. It was just we are we are who I thought we were. I, th- I thought you know early on clearly the offense struggled. They only had twenty seven yards of offense in the first quarter. Then they really got it going in the second quarter. And then that drive we were just talking about was uh, third, third quarter, quarter, right? Yeah. You know, they had hardly any rushing yards in the first half. And then they come out there, and that drive was all runs, one in, <coughs> one incomplete pass. And so when they were on the, the uh, one-yard line was second and goal, Tech had gotten 74 yards rushing on they something, had, something like five carries. And they had 14 14- in the whole first half, right? Something like that, yeah. 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 Um, but defensively, what I saw, and I'm not, I'm not an astute uh, football observer, um, I saw a lot of blitzes which were completely ineffective. They were, they, they looked to, to my untrained eye, looked a little slow and hesitant, and from far away, Pitt was getting the ball out quick, and our, and our guys talked about that after the game. So they're blitzing, Pitt's getting the ball out quick. Tech was playing soft coverage, uh, you know, probably because they just didn't trust their corners. Um, and it just it just kind of snowballed. So here's here's a way here's a way I think about this game. I think one of the the worst pardon the expression ass kickings I ever saw Tech take was the fifty two to twenty two game up there a couple of years ago. This was actually worse. That was a thirty point loss. This was a thirty three point loss. Yeah. Didn't seem like it. 
It didn't seem worse. The 2018 yeah, yeah. game well, seemed like there were bigger plays in, in, in the 2018 in, game. In, yeah, the, in some ways, it was worse because all right, the 20 that game was over before it started. Yes, that was a stomping from the very from beginning. the very beginning. This was right. a very competitive game, but midway through the the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big difference. Where it's worse to me is like looking back that 2018 game. Everybody was mad at the time, but Tech was a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that year. Like, yeah. like the oldest players in the program at that point recruited by Justin Fuente were redshirt freshmen and true sophomores, and they mm-hmm. just weren't big enough and strong enough to handle a, a physical running game like, like Pitt yet. Had at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. So we were mad about it, but it was understandable. Now you're sitting there thinking, okay, that's fine. A couple years in the weight room, our guys will be as big and strong as fast as Pitt and everything like that, and it's tough. Here we are later, and some of those same guys, like like Trey Turner, played in that game, right? Trey Turner was listed at 187 pounds in that game. He's still 187 pounds, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, and guys, you were counting on Caleb Farley's not there. Yeah, He's right. They, they left, yeah, right? He was, so, he was a guy that got tremendously better after that 2018 uh, yeah, season. Absolutely, and so to me, it was that that was that was just it. I haven't seen the. You've seen it at certain positions. You've seen it at most positions on on offense, to be honest with you. But defensively, it's part part bad strategy and part player development. Like, okay, bad strategy to recruit really small defensive tackles, right? Um, that's not Justin Hamilton's fault or or Bill Tierlink's fault or Daryl Tapp's fault. It just it is what it is. But then at other spots, you know, like linebacker, you know, guys just haven't developed physically. As, as they should in in my opinion so that yeah. that's why it's worse it's like we the Hokies should be better physically than they are at this point not not everybody on tech's teams looks like a football player and all of Pitt's players look like football players yeah. you know when we did predictions on the preview uh podcast on thursday chris took virginia tech by a close margin <laughs> will you took pittsburgh by a close margin by i took a touchdown Pitt- yeah and I took Pittsburgh by three points. I don't think anybody quite saw 47 of 14, especially considering that Pitt had 16 players out because of COVID. Including seven starters, correct? Yeah, so, five, five like, offensive stars, including three offensive, three offensive linemen. linemen. So, and so they're, they're and would, leading receiver. And, and, you know, and then DJ Turner, who had 21 catches all year, has 15. And eight of those 21 had come in one game. You know, against probably a, a – lesser opponent or whatever. I don't know. So it's kind of a sidebar, not really relevant to the conversation, but you know, you go back to that 2018 game, this game, the Duke game last year. One of the things I find interesting about announcers is that when, when you've got a team like Virginia tech, that is basically kind of just deflated and the other teams running up the score announcers lapse into that mode of praising the team that's winning instead of, you know, Eric Wood was doing color commentary. Eric played college football. I think he was an offensive lineman, I believe, at Clemson. Um, they they, suck, they cycle Eric Mac, McLean and, and Eric Wood in and out, and I can't remember which is which. The Wood is the curly-haired dude. Yeah, and, and I've got them their physical appearance. I just can't remember which one played where. But, you know, a football player should should at some point say, yeah, sure, Pitt's having a good game, but, you know, come on, look at this. Yeah, the ACC Network announcers in particular are very hesitant to criticize, I've found. Yeah. He um, played at Louisville and McLean played at Clemson. Okay, okay. thank you. Um, yeah, I th- they're, they're very, very he- hesitant to criticize. They'll even say things like, oh, so-and-so is a great football player, and, like, 
He's really like, not. like I watch him play every week. I'm telling you, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> now I th- that said, I thought Wood was pretty good. He's typically uh, yeah. on the sidelines, but he was in the. I think they were actually at the game. He was in the booth, and I thought he did a good job. So sorry for the tangent. Again, if you have a question for Will and Chris, uh, I have permission from Will to if we need to run a little bit long today, uh, we can. And so we always love uh, interacting with you all watching live on YouTube. So if you have a question, go Plus, ahead. Plus, if it. we run really long and Fuente says something, it'll come on Twitter before the end of the show that would be really long though like for 90 the, minutes for those wondering why i have my computer out part is i have twitter <laughs> open ready if there's anything that uh, that comes from the press conference and i also have your chats right in front of me on youtube so Hokies lose 47 to 14 to pittsburgh virginia tech is now four and five on the season and are now in jeopardy of potentially suffering its first losing season in the regular season since 1992 will right now what is the state of Virginia Tech football. Uh, first of all, a, a relevant stat. This is the first winless November since 1992. Um, you know, Oof. Jackson did like mention that, and so I went and uh, I double checked it, and and I looked, and there were a couple instances where it's UVA that saved Tech from going winless in November. Uh, I think it was I, two, I guess, 2002 and, and 2018. And probably maybe like temple in 2003 when temple missed an extra point uh, i believe so um probably <laughs> although tech you know again we'd, we'd have to go look that up. tech may have won a game like at the very beginning of november my, miami might have been like november 1st or something yes it was actually oh, okay. i think okay. i think it was i think that's what kept yeah Barely. i think 2002 and 2018 are the only ones i found where they had one victory in mm. november um so state of the program really what you're asking me is what's the state of the fan base you know and 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 so i've had had people talking to me this weekend and and they're like you know be be careful um there there are people calling for justin fuente to be fired and you know just be careful how you talk about that and my answer to that is um you know i was on rick watson's show uh friday morning and, and rick said he said i'm not one to call for coaches to be fired that's just not what i do and i don't either you know, um, but what I do talk about is where is the fan base right now and what do you do? And it's just, it is, it, I know we've been talking about it really since the Wake Forest loss, but <laughs> one of my favorite expressions is, boy, that escalated quickly. You know, Tech was fine until they lost to Wake Forest. And I expressed some surprise after that game at, at the backlash from, from Tech fans. So you had Wake Forest and you had the victory over Louisville. Then you have the loss to Liberty. That's when it really and yeah. and it just really snowballed quickly. Um, and it was uh, Cornelson that was primarily under fire after Liberty, you know. And and then they go out and they lose to Pitt. And and this is the first time they've really been outclassed this year in in a big way. Oh, the, their previous four losses are by twenty two points. So you're sitting here saying. Because we're closer They're to being close, six man. and two than They're we close. are two and six, right? Yeah, and that's that, that was the Which, discussion. Pitt was close to being six and two. Virginia Tech was close to being six right. and two. This would be a pretty good ball game. But you know, back back to back to the fan base. Um, man, I just it's just gone south, and and it looks to me like it's gone south for good. So you, at this point, if Tech rolled out there and beat Clemson and beat UVA. You know, you just you're still there's a huge portion of the fan base you're just not going to get back because we've been down this path before. You know, lose to ODU, play a little better at times. You know, lose to Duke, play better. I, I, this is the third time around, and and people are giving up. And it's exacerbated by 
the, you know, the post-game press conference, there's always that seminal moment, <laughs> you know, and it all that, that thing that you remember. And everybody remembers when Seth Greenberg said, that's certifiably insane. And everybody's going to remember the game where Justin Fuente said, that's ludicrous crap. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just, it's just mushroomed, you know, and I'll leave it at that. I don't want to continue to jabber on. Chris, I'll ask you the same question I asked Will. What do you think the state of Virginia Tech football is right now? And a second part of that question, you see the message boards, you see social media. What have you seen from the last 48 hours, to Will's point, from the fan base from over the weekend? Well, they're not happy. Um, I, I do think there's a tendency amongst Tech fans to think, you know, whenever Tech starts losing, our fan base always goes to, Oh, the locker room is lost, and the players don't get along. Like every, you start hearing that stuff, you hear yeah. it every single time. Like, what is it with Tech fans where we always think that happens? I think it goes back to 2003 when it actually did happen down the stretch, and you had players playing selfishly and weren't interested in closing out the season. And then again in 2006 when like a couple of players got into it on the sideline at Boston College, right. and I, I think Tech fans interpreted that as a sign that the team was coming apart at the seams or whatever. In reality, that was just a couple defensive players holding each other accountable. There was nothing wrong with with what happened up there in Boston College as far as that. Yeah, and so the hot rumor is that in the locker room, two wide receivers Sunday morning were yelling at a coach. Right, and and I I don't know what happened on Sunday. Um, I I know somebody who was in the locker room for part of the time after the game at Pitt, and he said he saw none of what what people were alluding to right. on social media. So I just think that's something tech fans do. I, like, I think tech, tech fans after football games should like need to lock their phone somewhere. Cause they're, they're kind of insufferable sometimes to be honest with you. Well, but, so, so it's, so something that your average fan needs to realize. And I remember this way back to um, early two thousands. Um, I played football for five years, little league and then ninth grade and never saw a single fight. So I wasn't exposed to this. But I remember in, in one of those years where Tech went south at the end of the year, uh, 02, 03, you know, where they, where they were losing down the stretch, mm-hmm. some story was making the rounds that, and, and if I, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something about Kevin Jones and Grant Knoll getting into a fist fight. No, it was uh, it was Grant Knoll and D'Angelo yeah, Hall. D'Angelo was the Hall. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Kevin. The, the, the rumor, no, the, the rumor was like Grant Knoll knocked him down a flight of stairs. Yeah, and, like yeah. I have no idea if that happened or not, but but like that was that was what was going. That was the rumor in Blacksburg at the time. Right. So so this and, rumor starts making the rounds, and <laughs> and people on the message boards are horrified. Right. And and Jeff Holland, who played defensive tackle for Tech back in the '90s, and and has been a TSL guy for years jeff emailed me and his email was one one big giant eye roll and his message to me was football players fight all the time you know so bring that forward to now if if football players and coaches are yelling at each other that's actually normal after teams lose sometimes heated words are exchanged Um, and one of the things that that football people are really good about is hugging it out and getting over that now i'm not saying that's what's happening here i don't know what's happening here but just if you hear rumors of dissension and all that stuff, you know, that's what happens when teams lose. It does get heated. I mean, if anything, like the fact that I heard that it's not like it was on social media, like I'd actually feel better if there were a few fights. Right. People showing some emotion. Right. 
So uh, the state of the program, though, well, it's it's not great, Bob. You know? <laughs> it's not so does I'm... everybody know what that's a reference to? Not great, Bob. That's that is actually I do know this. You know, total side note: I've gotten some flack from people on social media for not knowing <laughs> the movies you guys have mentioned. So I want to make sure I get this right. That was the other guys: Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. Correct. Not good, Bob. I think it's Mad Men. It's Mad Men. Yeah, it's um, pretty there, sure it's Mad Men. There was there was a guy. There was this smarmy character Bob and 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 Pete. Uh, I've suddenly forgotten Pete's last name. <laughs> Something bad happens to to Pete, and Pete gets on the elevator, and Bob's like, "Hey, hey, Pete, how's it going?" And and Pete goes, "Not good, Bob. Not good." And so I think that's where that. You comes know what from. I think? I'm thinking the other guys. It's not a good time, Bob. There was a scene <laughs> in the other guy. Okay, I'm close. Yeah. I'm lukewarm. Yeah. At least I had some idea. Uh, so for well, a minute, I thought it was office space. The stri- the stay of the program is bad. And the state and, of the fan base, they, they have, they have written Justin Fuente off. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, and I think the writing is on the wall there. It's just a question of when it's going to happen. I mean, we all know how it's, we all know that it's going to end. Yeah, this is it's just hard. a question a of, really of, of, of when it happens. Um, yeah. and that trickles down like players, their, their window into the world is social media. So, I mean, you see that after the game, I mean, at least Hendon Hooker showed some fire after the game, right? When he criticized the fan base, <laughs> he told, I mean, him, told him to go at least, kick rocks. At least somebody, at least somebody's showing some emotion, right? Now I, I read the transcript. I, I edited and posted the transcript. I did not watch the interviews. How did he say that? Oh, I don't know. I didn't. He said, "Where's the effect of it? That the fans are any fans that aren't behind us, you know, can just go kick rocks." Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways you could say that. <laughs> uh, so Evan's looking it up, trying to get the exact wording. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, you know, <laughs> uh, I, at, at any rate, I, I, the issues I pointed out on this podcast and in multiple articles recently are, are to me, what's wrong with the program? Yeah. Tech isn't big enough, strong enough. Uh, it's uh, in some positions, a lot of positions on defense. I don't think they're mean enough. Um, I just I had a former player call me yesterday and we talked for probably 20 minutes or so and he's just like, you know, this defense they just don't want to hit people. Um and Tech has not been a physical defense the last few years. Even even in the, in the last years under Bud Foster, they were not a physical defense. And, and I seriously yeah. wonder, sorry to interrupt, but I ser- you watch film of the defense from the 90s and and the mid 2000s and they are swarming, they're piling on. And I haven't seen that for a well, long time. Well, it's because they were mean and aggressive. Well, yeah. but is it is it, are they also being dulled somewhat by the 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 targeting? Yeah, stuff? to a certain extent. You know, they're yeah. actually being taught these days not to hit and not pile. That, well, you know, it's some, there's some of it is maybe some of that, but but uh, yeah, I just don't. Okay, think, what, what exactly did he say? Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit later about the the press conference, and there were a couple of meaningful quotes that are worth mentioning on the podcast. But you brought it up. Hendon Hooker was asked what his message to Virginia Tech fans are who are right. frustrated. He said, if they're real fans, then they'll be on our side, win, lose, or draw. Whoever's doubting us, then they're not true fans and can kick rocks. <laughs> okay, so so has anybody here seen the Facebook thread started by Chad Beasley? No. That was interesting. I caught that very late last night. It was around midnight right before I, uh, right before I hit the sack, and, and Chad Beasley – I don't remember what he said, but it led to a very long thread with a ton of former players in it. Mm-hmm. George Del Rico, Chiron Stith, uh, um, uh, Jason Murphy. Yeah. J- Jason Murphy said, well, I can't repeat it because it contains a profanity, but Jason Murphy basically said, 
you got to recruit some football players and you got to recruit some dogs and the some dogs football players will do some things and the dogs will just break stuff you know so he's saying he's kind of saying what i've been saying for years is that you got to have a group of guys that that know the game and keep their head and you got to have a group that are kind of nuts and just love to hit kind of on that edge and you got to figure out how to manage that you know, it was interesting to hear a former player basically say the same thing. For the former player I talked to yesterday basically said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not enough guys who on this team who, you know, you would feel a little bit worried if you were walking down one direction of an alley and they happened to be coming in your direction. So you, one, of, one of my problems when I played football was I flat wasn't mean enough. Right. And so here's a story I always tell. You know, I was an offensive lineman. Believe it or not, I was an offensive lineman. I was, I was a guard. And there was a game one time where uh, the kid across from me was just terrible. The defensive lineman across from me, he'd get in his four-point stance, and they would snap the football. And the kid would literally get on a knee, raise up, and slowly get up. And I thought, man, what's the matter with this kid? He's terrible. And I go over to the sidelines, and, and the rumor starts making the rounds that, I, you know, that there's a kid on their team with MS, Multiple sclerosis. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm, I'm in like sixth or seventh grade at this point. I don't even know what that means. I'm like, oh, that must be the kid across from me. You know? <laughs> oh, so every man. play, the ball would be snapped, and I'd wait for him to do his thing, get up, then I'd block him. And then we'd get down to the one-yard line, and, you know, I'd go back to the huddle, and i look at the quarterback, and i say, call it over me. And he goes, okay. And he calls a 31 or whatever it was. <laughs> the ball got snapped, and I flattened this kid, bent him over backwards. And when he went over backwards, he went, oh, God, you know, the whole deal. <laughs> I should have yeah. done that to that kid every single play. Every single play. I should have gone back to the huddle. And by the way, the MS was just crap. I don't even know what that is. I should have gone back to the huddle, and I should have told the quarterback, keep calling running plays over me until I kill this kid. Right. You got to be mean to play football, and I wasn't but, mean, and that's why I couldn't play beyond there, ninth grade. There aren't that many people who are really like that because – if there were, this kid wouldn't even been playing at this point. Like, I know. He, he would have been chased be, off the field. Man. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I just don't see enough of that dog mentality. On, don't, I see it on the offensive line from Tech. There's a nasty. There's a nasty factor on the offensive line for Tech. Like, even when Tech is losing by a lot of points, and you see Silas Janzi running down running the right sideline, man. Yeah, I mean that. That's a that's great. I mean those those guys enjoy hurting people. I think, and, and, and you and have a, to if you, to be a really great football player. And I remember either last year or the year before, I was critical of Janzi because the way he was playing, I didn't see the effort. Turns out he was hurt. Right, right. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And, well, everybody's always hurt. That's another subject. <laughs> and, then, and then and then you see that, and you're like, wow. Again, it's great to have you with us. Episode 153 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. This is headlined on YouTube right now. Justin Fuente under pressure. So I want to transition to, and I know, Will, you're going to talk about this in your Monday Thoughts column that will be up on TechSideline.com later today. Highly encourage everybody, as I do every show, but really encourage everybody to go read Chris's uh, CC on Sunday. Lots of questions article that is on the website right now. Will... Virginia Tech four and five right now on the season. We just talked about the fan base and where they stand. What options at this point does Whit Babcock have if he were to do anything at the end of the season? So this is what the entirety of my article is going to be about, and, and I'll, I'll try not to talk too long. But a, a lot of the discussion is about um, the buyout. It's a unique year in that the season ends a lot later. 
Okay, so Fuente's buyout goes from 12.5 million to 10 million on December 15th. Well, in an ordinary year, that would be a couple of weeks after the season ended, you know, and, and you, you don't want to wait, et cetera, et cetera. This, this year, everything's kind of compressed towards that time frame. And that buyout is not $10 million all at once. It's $2.5 million per year over four years. So everybody's homing in on that and talking about it and saying tech can't afford that, tech can't afford that. Um, and particularly in a COVID year where Witt said, you know, they're facing a $50 million loss, but roughly a $50 million loss in revenue. He has undergone cost savings and things to reduce that to a $30 million loss. And he thought he could find some more things to, to get it down to $20 million. And that's what he told me when I interviewed him about a month ago. And at that point, I would think the school would step in with, with loans or something. You know, I, I think they'll make it work. This is, and this is a whole nother discussion. We hope this is a one-year blip. We're not sure. But if it's a one-year blip, I think they can manage things. But you don't want to pile a $10 million buyout in on top of COVID. So I get that. that that's a valid viewpoint. But um, last night I did the math. And, you know, $2.5 million a year. If, so I want to ask people on YouTube to do something. I actually don't buy season tickets. I piggyback on some other people. What do season tickets cost? Are they $400? So I, th- they're, I buy them. I never pay attention to how much they cost. To be right. Honest. So if anybody in the YouTube chat knows, drop how much they are. Let's assume they're $400. Okay. $400 per ticket. Per season ticket. I, I want to say they were like three fifty, but four hundred sounds. Well, it's headed towards four hundred. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it'll be there soon. Particularly if you have seven home games, then it gets up to four hundred. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So two and a half million dollars at a fourth four hundred dollars season ticket is six thousand two hundred and fifty season tickets. Um, Virginia Tech's average. So so let's just instead of saying six thousand two hundred fifty season tickets, let's say six thousand two hundred fifty tickets a game. Virginia Tech in 2019 averaged 58,300 fans per game. If the attendance drops to 52,000, that's a loss of 6,200 fans a game, and there's your 2.5 million. So can you afford to not buy him out? And you're, all, you're already going to have some people not coming back anyway because they took the year off because they had to. And they just got into the habit of not coming to games. and Right. So so let's not kid ourselves. Um, it's it's not a situation of if we keep Justin Puente, only 52,000 people will come to games. And if we hire a new coach, 59,000 people will come to games. That's not necessarily true. And we saw this when Witt hired Buzz Williams. Buzz was a home run hire. But the crowds didn't follow until Buzz started winning. Yes. But, you know, th- this is, a, this is a, a simple way to think about it. So – monetarily can you if, if, if things have gone south can you afford to not let him go can you be a zombie program for a year or or whatever um, but there's more to it than that um, so a lot of the traffic that we got via text and email was you know oh uh, it, people with second and third hand sources and things like that oh I'm hearing they're talking about the buyout and Wits trying to get it together and yada 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 but then I go and I talk to a very good source who says, you know, if, if you're going to do this, then it has to go through the BOV. There are, some, there are some important people in the BOV that have to sign off on this. And the willingness of the BOV to let a coach go and take on a buyout in the midst of a pandemic is not big. It's a bad look. Never mind... You know, pe- people on the BOV think long term. They understand the situation right now. 
but they also understand that the next 13 months will be over before you know it. It'll feel like a long time to Virginia Tech football fans. But, you know, I, I think when you get to the people that have to make the decisions, they may be more concerned about optics than the finances. So that's my stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, the one thing that, like, that really, really concerns me is, you know, the last game was December 12th, right? And the coaches, when they get fired, they always get fired like two or three days after the last game. So two or three days after the last game is uh, basically signing day. So if you fire Justin Fuente right after the last football game this year and none of those guys are going to sign with Tech. Like Tech will go into January with like zero signees where everybody else has signed 20 or more. Unless you've got a kid that really loves Virginia Tech and doesn't doesn't care who the coaches are. But I mean, if if you're a player like – why would you sign that paper when there is no head coach in place, right? So that next head coach would have to come in. And do and, Zoom and, calls. And he would never be allowed to meet a recruit face-to-face. I know. And he would yet still be expected to put together a class by February. And at this point, most of your good players have signed elsewhere. Yeah. It's like So from that standpoint, it's just not conducive to – I mean, the timing of this is horrible. Yeah, it's um, it, it couldn't like, be any worse. I, I'm, I'm not even so much worried about the the finances of it, because um, I I, th- I think when you say you know 10 million over four years, well, it depends on what Justin Fuente agrees to. It could easily be 10 million over eight years if if he was willing to do that. I, I think the guy's probably pretty miserable at this point, point. Uh, and maybe he wants out. Who knows? I, he doesn't strike me as the type who will want to sit around in a miserable situation for yeah. another year where everybody knows how it's going to end. So it's possible something could get negotiated for cheaper. But that doesn't change what I just said about how horrible it's going to be for the next coach and how he's going to get off. He's not going to be able to get off to a good start. The The, the new car smell that comes with each coaching staff, um, it's not going to be there. Now, if the NCAA decides to open up recruiting in January, maybe you can – you know, you can do something. So that's why, like, okay, maybe the final decision hasn't been made until until the NCA comes out and says, you know what, we're going to open up recruiting. They're not, in my opinion. It's not going to ha- In my opinion, I don't think it's going to happen until at least the spring. And can't Division two and Division three teams recruit? That's what Tony Roby said on Twitter. Tony Roby said when it was announced that, that the, the dead period was extended to April 15th, Tony went on Twitter and he said, so basically, Division One can't recruit right now, but there are no restrictions on Division Two and Division Three. Like, what kind of sense does that make? Um, now, I know Division Two and Division Three aren't playing, so I guess it's like okay. I, I, so I guess their reasoning, I guess as well, you aren't likely to get COVID if you go visit those schools. I, 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 don't, I don't know, know about that. <laughs> uh, you're right. Agreed. I, 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 it just doesn't doesn't seem like a lot of thought was put into it, in so, my so, opinion. Well, and, and you know we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but not only the recruiting dead period pushed back till April fifteenth. We don't know what spring practice is going to look like. We talked about last week the teams that have changed coordinators in the off season, um, not having enough practice time. Look at Penn State; they're zero and five with a new offensive coordinator. LSU has a new offensive coordinator and defense new, coordinator. New def- yeah. They're not ranked after winning the national championship. So there, there's a lot of things that go into. Um, this decision, like you said, the timing just feels well, so. It, to, to me, it's got nothing to do with like, all right, Tech is 
Right, Tech is four and five. That doesn't have anything to do anything to do with the fact that they're four and five. Or and I'm like I'm like I don't think we can judge Justin Hamilton based on this year because he didn't recruit any of these players and didn't get to work. With I, you know, it, I know he wouldn't have 280, 265 pound defensive tackles if it was his choice, right? But. It, that's what he. That's the hand he was dealt, and then he didn't get a chance to teach them the scheme. So, like, I don't. I'm not even taking anything. Like, I don't know if he's a good defensive coordinator or not. Like, you can't judge him on this year. Uh, I don't know if you can judge like Jafar Williams. His receivers struggle against physical press coverage. Is that because he's not teaching them properly? I don't know because, like, his best player is 6'2", 187 pounds, when he should be over 200 pounds, right? right. So, I, I don't know if Tracy Clays can teach his linebackers to get off blocks. One of his linebackers is 15 pounds too heavy. The other is 20 pounds too light. I, I just, the biggest issue in this program is buy-in and strength and conditioning and nutrition and things like that. Like if I if I if I knew there was buy-in, I wouldn't be really necessarily be worried because I I'd be like okay I think we need a better quarterback developer, so fix that in the off season. Other than that, I know everybody else is bought in, so let's just get to spring practice and and get better. I just don't see the universal buy-in from the players, and that that's that to me is is the sign that. Things need to change as soon as possible, but at the same time, I also acknowledge it's a horrible time for that change yeah. because that next head coach is going to come you're, in you're and he's not going to be able to recruit. You're just treading water for a year. Right. You know. Actually, you're treading water for a year no matter what. Correct. Except if you keep Justin Fuente, it's going to be toxic treading he's gonna, water. Right. Yeah. You know. Let me ask this question because you know the, the, the chat will talk about this and I'm sure we'll get some questions. I'll bring it up now. Let's look at the 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 candidates that might be available right now in college football for a second. Think about that. But let me ask you this question too. So let's say that there was a coaching change at the end of the year. Hypothetical. How attractive is Virginia Tech on a national level right now? See, okay, so this is this will be also a, a large portion of my article. <laughs> um, I think you know, when, when Frank retired, there was a tremendous amount of interest in the job. And what I would tell fans to hear and remember, hear me now and believe me later, and, and, and Wit's always really good about pointing this out. When your job opens up, let's say you get 20 phone calls. At least half of those are just agents trying to juice their guys' pay at their existing school. They're not serious. Mm -hmm. But some of the phone calls are serious. And I think Virginia Tech at this point in time would still get serious phone calls. Um, how attractive is the job nationally? Uh, I said years, five years ago when Frank retired, I said, this is a very attractive job. Uh, good fan base, weak division in, in a, it's really not a weak conference anymore. And even back then it wasn't weak. Florida state was still halfway decent and Clemson was becoming Clemson, but it's the weakest division in a power five conference. It still is. You know, we're, yeah, I'm worried about how UNC is recruiting and their facilities, blah, blah, blah. But it's still the weakest division of Power 5 Conference. There's an opportunity to win here and to make your to make a name for yourself, you know, meeting Clemson in the championship game and beating Clemson. That's what you aspire to if you're a coach. 
So what's more important to me, and I'll detail this in my article, is, you know, where is, I think we've done a good job educating our readers and listeners that Virginia Tech's facilities have at best always been competitive, but in the last, you know, close to 10 years have actually fallen behind. You know, and I, I fuss about this all the time, uh, and, and Witt and I disagree on this. Every, every other Power 5 program, I'd have to do the research and find out if it's every other, but they've all got $50 million dedicated football buildings. You know, very impressive structures that give their staff a lot of room to work, cater to everything that the players need. I'm not talking about nap rooms and water slides. I'm talking about a, a, a building you can work in. And Virginia Tech decided not to go in that direction. And instead, they expanded Merriman. They built the Student Athlete Performance Center. They kind of have a cluster of football stuff going on, but there's really nowhere to put staff unless there's something they're not telling us. You know, so they have a facilities issue. So you ask about the national appeal. What's more important is the, the conversations that go on between a potential hire and an athletic director. And what the conversation needs to be is the athletic director needs to sniff out really quick what a guy's strengths and weaknesses are. I do not think at the time Justin Fuente was hired that we understood what his weakness is. His weakness is um, being a charismatic out front leader of the program. And that's been a frequent criticism. You know, we didn't know that at that point in time. So it's the athletic director's job. He's got to sniff out the weaknesses in this guy and discuss with him and also the guy's got to sniff out the weaknesses in the program mm -hmm. and there needs to be a discussion where the coach says all coaches want is a chance to succeed and there are certain things they need in order to succeed and the classic example of this is what greg shiano and Rutgers went through they wanted to hire shiano shiano rolled in and you know i didn't follow this closely but the gist i got from the headlines and peripheral discussions is shiano wasn't so much concerned about the money for himself I think he wound up signing for $4 million or something like that. But he asked for like $7 million in support staff and assistance. Seven assistant. and a half, I think. Yeah, you like know. That. So Shiano came in and said, sure, I'll come back and coach Rutgers. I had some success here. But that was 15 years ago. Right. And here's what I need now. Rutgers was like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. And a week later, Rutgers said, okay, we'll do that. Yeah. And these are the discussions that have to occur. And I think, I think they promised to build a facility too. They did. That was part of it. Mm -hmm. So if I'm if I'm an outside coach coming in, I'm looking at Virginia Tech thinking I can win there, but I don't know about this facilities thing and this staffing thing. And they're going to call Fuente and and say, okay, what are Virginia Tech? How come you didn't win there? Right, right. Well, it's like I know you're a good X's and O's coach, so why didn't you win there? Yeah, right, yeah. right. So and he so tell me Virginia Tech's strengths and weaknesses, and he's going to tell him. And that's not necessarily something that he had access to when he was hired. It's not like he could call Frank Beamer. And ask so, Coach Beamer. Tell what do you me, think Frank's gonna say? Frank's gonna say, "Oh, everything's great. Everything's perfect. Everything's set up for success." Oh, it's right? home. Like, it's a good bunch of people, right? Because right, that, that's of course Frank's gonna do that. He's yeah. a he's a tech guy, and and quite frankly, Frank had never coached anywhere else since the early eighties. Yeah. So uh, so he doesn't necessarily have the perspective on some of that stuff. But so the prospective coaches are going to call Justin Fuente and say, "So w w what what did they lack there?" And Fuente's going to tell him. He said, look, they weren't ready to support the program until I went and flirted with Baylor. And I wrote back then a, in A Shot Across the Bow, which was the most appropriately, appropriately titled article I think I've ever written. I said, I don't think, I said, I don't know how Justin Fuente's tenure will end, but 
this is going to be the end up being the most important thing he ever did for us because he fired a shot across the bow with the fan base and the administration, and that's when Witt started kicking the uh, kicking the wheels on the uh, the football enhancement fund, right? Yeah, which is going to be five million dollars a year once it's finally approved by the BOV. Right. If Justin Fuente didn't do that last winter, we would be screwed right Where now be, yeah. because because it's something because what would like let's say Fuentes let's say we're in the market for a new coach in December um what would be going out there not armed with that extra five million and the first candidate he talked to is going to be like okay I want this and I want this and I want this and, and what's going to be like holy crap yeah this is a lot more difficult than it was five years ago um so he would have to go back to the big donors and put that together really quickly at least the wheels have been in motion with this for almost a year right so i'm telling you man like forte is going to end up like long term will end up being a net positive for tech because of that because he forced the athletic director and some of the big donors to start thinking about big boy football which you know, we and, never, which we haven't done for years around here, quite frankly. And 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 I, I get calls from from people that have been around tech football a long time who understand Virginia Tech's situation, and and they tell me, and I go talk to big donor or, or big tech football fans who still think, oh, tech is great. They don't understand that that you know kind of where they are. But let's get back to the topic. Uh, so if I'm a prospective coach, I come in and I'm eyeballing that that those wooden metal bleachers in the north end zone, and I'm going. Man, that'd be a great place for a football building. How come you don't have one there? Right. And oh, by the way, if you want to hire me, I want one there. Mm-hmm. This this would be awesome. You could have the football building here, the outdoor practice field right here, the indoor facility there, locker room over there. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to commit to build that twenty to thirty million dollar building in your north end zone. So uh, the south end zone structure, by the way, cost uh, back in two thousand two cost something like thirty thirty five thousand bucks. That was eleven thousand seats. It was two decks. You know, just go go look up uh, if if y'all don't know, um, there are three stadiums that were built at the same time off the same architectural <laughs> plan: Lane Stadium, Wake Forest Stadium, and Indiana's Memorial Stadium. Go look and see what Indiana did in Memorial Stadium in their north end zone. Now their their west stands are their tall stands, whereas at Tech it's the east stands. But in their north end zone, they built a football building. Go take a look at it. Um, so, uh, that's Virginia Tech's challenge is that one of the things you kind of want to look to do is you want to maybe hire an assistant from a big time program because they've seen how it's done. Well, that guy's going to come in, you know, like, like everybody throws out, uh, Luke Fickle, for example, has been Ohio state. He knows how it's done. Brent Venables, I, Virginia Tech's not going to hire Brent Venables. I, I'll come out and say that right now. And I will. I will eat something if they do. <laughs> but Brent Venables has been at Clemson for 10 years now. Brent knows how an actual program is run. He's not going to get hired unless you provide those things for him. So, Real quick before we take the break, I do want to look at the other side and go back to a couple of things that Coach Justin Fuente said after the Pittsburgh game on Saturday. You know, He alluded to a couple of things of how tough that this has been for the team playing essentially since July, right? No breaks, right? Guys banged up. COVID. I mean, we've never had a season like this ever in college football. Could you see a scenario which here, too, considering the facts that all that Virginia Tech has gone through this year, that Coach Justin Fuente, his staff, they come back, they reload in the offseason, and then, you know, they get a fresh start at it next year, given everything that's happened. I know the fan base 
as clearly in one place right now. But looking at it objectively here, could you see that? I mean, this has been, you know, uncharted territory before. It, what do you say to that side of the argument? I'm, I'm afraid there's been too much lost trust. And I don't think the players necessarily have turned on him. I just think they don't expect him to be their head coach more than another year or so. Mm. So they've, they've, and honestly, uh, but they, by reading Twitter, how could they not feel that way? Right. Um, so the, sometimes, you know, you just need a month or two off from each other and you, everybody comes back and everything's fine. But to me, like for him to have success here long term, for everything to get turned around, the buy-in thing has to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's, this is where it's shocking to me. Yeah. Like, if 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 he had failed here, like when he was hired, if he had, I was thinking, well, if he fails here, it's going to be because you know he can't recruit or something like that. But we lost to Pitt and we lost to Liberty and we lost to Miami with a, a team mostly made up of recruiting classes ranked around 25th in the country. And so so this is a player development issue, not 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 a recruiting issue. Do you issue. know off the top of your head that the recruiting classes of 18, 19, 20, were those all mid-20s? Not to cut, yeah, to yeah. cut you yeah, off, they, they were all, they were all, all yeah. inside the 30s? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were all mid, mid-20s. Um, and it was just the 20 It was just last year's class that, 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 was, that was bad. Uh, this Ranking-wise. Man, y'all threw me off. I I'm sorry. I was going to say. It was really good. Player, de- uh, player development. Yeah. That, it's a player development issue. Yeah, yeah, okay. So – I, just, I don't understand because he came from TCU. And when he was at TCU, like he was the offensive coordinator at TCU when they smacked around Wisconsin. I mean, they physically matched yeah. Wisconsin in that Rose Bowl. Like that was a tough, hard-nosed, physical TCU team. And that whole program was at the time under Gary Patterson. And he came from that program. And he was a big part of it. So, like, where's – like, what's happened? Like – that was the part where I, I would I would never would have guessed it would have ended this way. If you'd have told me he was going to get fired, I'd say, oh, it was because we didn't have enough good players. Yeah. Well, you could say we don't have enough good players. I don't think we have enough developed players. Yeah. I think there's enough talent there if they were developed properly. Um, I, so, that, so that's what would concern me is like he would have to fix the buy-in thing in the offseason. And I, I think he's too too far down one road to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so I just don't think it's it's something that, that's likely to happen. And I will say this, like, holding players accountable. You know, we didn't have that complaint at the beginning of his tenure. And I, 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 most people don't remember this, but I remember the press conference before the Liberty game in 2016, his first game. He came out there and announced a bunch of suspensions. Like a bunch of guys who got suspended for either between one and four games. Huh, I do not recall that. Uh, Marshawn Williams was one of them. He loved Marshawn Williams, but he suspended him for like the first two or three games of the season. And, you know, Wyatt Teller was a hard guy to keep focused. So they didn't start – they started Colt Pettit over Wyatt Teller at the beginning of that season, and everybody was mad about it. Wyatt Teller gets the penalty against Tennessee. They jerk him out of the game, man. They were holding Wyatt Teller accountable. And – he became a better football player because of it. He's a great NFL player now, partially, you know, because of things like that. Like Fuente was, he he had high expectations, and, and by God, he was going to bench you or suspend you if you well, didn't so, so if you didn't meet them. There's a story about they're going to practice one day, and and Teller's is talking about fishing mm-hmm. or something like that, and Fuente says, "Why we're here to practice football, not talk about fishing?" 
you know, so he he did shape probably Wyatt's thinking right. before, as because Wyatt was a was a Beamer slash Fuente guy. He played mm-hmm. under both of them. So there was a whole lot of guys being held accountable and being disciplined early in the Fuente era. Where did it get away? I mean, Tech went nineteen and eight in those years, and generally speaking, they were a mentally tough football team. Like, if you're not a mentally tough football team, you're not going to come back twenty four nothing down, right? Yeah. Against Arkansas, you're not going to take Clemson down to the wire in the ACC championship game. So I think there's a lack of accountability and a lack of discipline right now. I know there wasn't when he first got here. So when did it stop? Why did it stop? How did it stop? And I think it goes back to that twenty, the end of 2018. And uh, he felt like he, you know, there were some issues on that team. And... He probably kept a few too many guys in the program who maybe weren't fits, and 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 they those guys ended up creating some issues on their way out of the program once they eventually did exit amongst the fan base and the rest of the players. Yeah. So, and you know the big the big meeting between him and the players after the 2018 season, after everybody reported back from winter break, and and everybody it was an airing of grievances, I, I guess you could say to speak, and and so to speak, and. The players, it was things like the players complained about certain things. Uh, I don't know everything, but one of the things was like, oh, we want turkey bacon instead of regular bacon. Which, right. That's, uh, a, that's always the one that's yeah, that, the that, 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 that's, that's the funny one, right? Um, and then you fast forward to when Tech beat Miami the next year. They smoked by Duke, then they beat Miami. And after they beat Miami, somebody asked him, how'd you make this turnaround so quickly? And his basic answer was, well, you know, I told the players after the Duke game, we spent the offseason doing it your way, and now we're going to do it my way. And so to me, that says that when they had that meeting after the 2018 season, he gave up too much. He gave the players too much. When you're in a position of authority and, you know, you talk about letting the inmates run the asylum. So I'm going to describe the players here as the inmates, but I don't. That, that's not what I mean. You, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. If you're in a position of authority and, and the inmates are demanding stuff and you and you just give, give them a whole bunch of stuff that they ask, you know, is, is that is that is that a good way to go about instilling discipline in your program and buy-in and, buy and, 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 and culture and developing your culture when the players know that, oh, we don't like something so we can just go to the head coach and get him to change it? Um, in hindsight... In hindsight, I just I think he probably gave up too much, and I think they liked him better for it. I don't think they respected him more for it. Uh, and it's more important that a players respect your coach than like them. And I, I just think I think he diminished a lot of his own authority by by giving up too much in that situation because um, he certainly wasn't like that early in his career. I mean, in hindsight, I think he would have been better off telling the dissenters to. I'll steal a phrase from Hendon Hooker here to kick rocks, yeah. and we're we're going to move on as a football program. And if you don't like it, then find another football program. You know what's interesting though is is Chris talks about buying, and again his article on Tech Sideline really talks about that. And I encourage everyone to go read. But Will, you know, he brings up the 2016 team, and I've, I've listened to Sam Rogers, one of my favorite 
Hokies and listen to him speak about that 2016 team. He talks about how that senior class, I mean, they were hungry. They wanted to win. They wanted to buy in. And you, you think about the guys on those teams, the Tellers, the Sam Rogers, they did. So you look back early, the, the buy-in was really there right away with that team, was it not? And Fuente always talks about that group of seniors and how, yeah. and how much they meant to him. If you go back and listen to his interview on Sons of Saturday this past summer, like there there were there were players, former players from Tech emailing into that, the ones that liked, you know, the, the guys that had a good rapport with Fuente, like Akanum, I think, did, Sam Rogers, John McLaughlin. They all emailed and asked questions during that podcast because they like Fu. Hmm. And I just think that was a, those him and that group of players fit well together. And <laughs> – yeah, and it, and, it, and it just got lost somewhere in there, and I think he, I think he, I think he kind of caved. Everybody, everybody praised him for oh, yeah, he listened to the players and gave in to some of their demands after 2018. And well, I, I, think I just don't think that was a good idea in hindsight. Well, I think that's a valid <laughs> viewpoint, but dude, I don't freaking know. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I don't yet. know what they talked about. Yeah. By the way, this is the longest we've ever gone without taking our break. I'm going to do one more question, then we're going to take a break. Great, great show so far. We're just about the 60-minute mark. Will, I want to ask you this. I feel like it's even a little bit more different now than it was in 2015 or 2016. Social media continues to grow. Message boards have always been there, of course, but especially Twitter. How much do you think of the fan base and people on Twitter, the the the, the quote unquote negativity or the outspoken fans? So much of that, recruits see that and yeah. donors see that. How much do you think that plays an impact of what is going on right now? I think it uh, magnifies things. So so you go back to 1992 when Frank went two eight and one. Uh, Dave Brain was getting letters and phone calls probably. He talked about how he couldn't go to church anymore because there was, there was a guy at church that was always bugging him about when he was going to fire Frank. <laughs> so uh, they, they, they got some feedback, but you weren't subjected to this constant unending blast. And so the, so there's what the athletic director experiences now is different. Um, if Wit's like the rest of us and he actually opens up Twitter, he's being bombarded with requests to fire Justin Fuente dozens of them a day at least Dave brain did not experience dozens of of people a day telling him to fire frank beamer dave dave could take a reasoned uh, structured approach to it um it was a very similar situation you know frank went two eight and one what if justin goes four and seven i, I think a lot of the frank base fan base has given up on frank a lot of the fan base has given up on justin it's a very similar situation uh but in this day and age um Social media magnifies everything, and and what I'm going to say in my article is for those of you who aren't on Facebook and aren't on Twitter, you poo-poo it and say it doesn't matter. But uh, I've read some some interesting media pundits say that many companies are actually quote unquote run by Twitter now. And let's go back to the earlier discussion about the Board of Visitors and whether or not they're concerned about the optics of letting a coach go and taking on a buyout during a pandemic. Um, that's because they're being exposed to, to, to the viewpoint in, in a way that they probably weren't ever before. So then you get into recruiting and, you know, I, I, I'll, what I'll write in my article today is uh, re recruits aren't on Facebook. I just talked about Chad Beasley and some former players being on Facebook. Recruits aren't on Facebook. 
And they're really only on Twitter for the recruitment part of, of their lives. They are on Instagram where they're brand building and trying to, you know, get that bag and get that endorsement contract and become an influencer. And they're on Snapchat for fun. And so what they're, what they're seeing, yeah, you know, they, I think Snapchat and TikTok are just fun. What they're seeing, I, I went and looked at uh, Instagram last night. And I, I will post a screenshot in my article today. You know, so the same thing happens now on Instagram and Twitter. If, if anybody posts anything, anything that Hokies FB, Hokie football posts on Twitter or Instagram is met with fire, 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 fire. So that's what the recruits are seeing. <laughs> yeah. This stuff matters, people. It's not just the lunatic fringe. It's recruits. And that's their, as, we, as Chris said, that's their window into the program. So it affects the the people who are making the decisions and it affects the recruits who are deciding whether or not to come to your school. As we know from, you know, the political climate the last five or six years, social media magnifies everything to the extreme. Well, you guys want to take a guess how many live viewers we have on YouTube right now? I don't know how many we usually have. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) I can tell you it's more than normal. Uh, We have 309 live viewers right now. And the chat, uh, let me read you two of the three first uh, comments before we go to break here. Morning should be a lively chat today. Mm -hmm. Eric Fisher, well, this should be fun. And Robert, hope they block two hours for this one with an exclamation point. (laughs) So we're going to step aside for a break. But when we come back, a couple of more thoughts here from Will and Chris. And then we will get to your questions and comments in the YouTube live chat. Don't go anywhere. This is episode 153 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back in episode 153 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Evan Hughes alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. Tech Sideline podcast also presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. To help promote and support Virginia Tech wrestling, go to southeastrtc.com and Campus Emporium, a great place to get Virginia Tech apparel, swag, gear. We actually have one item that we're not featuring, but it's on the set today that we have featured in the past of that Virginia Tech uh, coffee mug right there for those watching on set. So it's great to have you back with us. Uh, We have so many people watching. A reminder, if you are on YouTube right now, please hit the like and subscribe button and continue to ask those questions. We will get to your questions at the end of the show. Hey, so let me jump in here since we're talking about the Southeast Regional Training Center. Um, they have hired a new uh, resident athlete, Nashon Garrett, four-time All-American, 2016 NCAA champion, 133-pound weight class, two-time U.S. national team member, 2018 world team member. So in the 133-pound weight class, he will now be a, a resident athlete at the Southeast Regional Training Center, which means that he will be training with and competing with the 125, 133-pound classes, if, if, if I've got my weight classes correct, there at the, at the uh, SERTC. This is a phenomenal pickup. 
So if you're not familiar with how it works, he'll be there training at the Southeast Regional Training Center, and he will be able to train with Virginia Tech wrestlers. And wrestlers want good people to compete against every single day so they get better. And that's what the SERTC is about. And the only reason Tony was able to to, to hire slash pay this resident athlete is the contributions that people make to the Southeast Regional Training Center. That is a phenomenal hire. It's kind of like what some football programs, like what Cincinnati has done to expand their coaching staff and have higher paid coaches. It's not coming out of the operating budget. They're, it's getting funded by private donations, right? Yeah. Sort of like this football enhancement fund at, at Virginia Tech. Um, so it's, an, it's definitely those regional training centers are – Definitely different than, than what I think most fans are used to, the fans that just pay attention to football. But, man, I wish Tech's football program had a fundraiser, fundraiser like Tony Roby. Well, Tony so. is basically not reliant upon anybody at Virginia Tech. Right. He runs an autonomous operation, mm-hmm. and he is the driver behind it. He is the one who raises the funds. There is no red tape. There is no politics. Everybody's on the same page. Yep. And he has a very personal touch with donors. You know, this, this is... This is how it works. And your football coach has constraints. He has to raise money through the existing money-raising structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, if you have the right guy, he can really schmooze up to the big donors and get their buy-in and get their money. Uh, big stuff for uh, Tony Roby. And, again, the wrestling season uh, likely to start in January is the uh, is the hope. A um, couple more thoughts on the, the Pittsburgh game and the rest of the season. We just did a lot of big-picture thinking in the first mm-hmm. hour of the podcast. Chris, let me start with you. By week this week, much needed, as Justin Fuente said. Guys are <laughs> banged up. And, and really, to his credit, too, I mean, listen, the, 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 these players have been going at it since July, sure. almost with no break. So it comes at a great time. But then there's Clemson and Trevor Lawrence coming into Lane Stadium, and then it's UVA to finish the season. Mm. You and you look at the rest of this season. What are you looking at specifically for Virginia Tech football? What do you hope to get out of the rest of this season? I hope to get another win. <laughs> I mean, I'll the be honest win. with you. I hope to get another win and get the cup back. That's yeah. like I'm not putting anything into the Clemson game at all. Um, I think all the question every year that that every coach deals with is what do we do during the bye week do we use it to focus on us or do we use it to just rest up and take a mental break and and get healthy and they always try to to balance that um tech as usual has a lot of guys hurt right now so they would benefit from some time off but you know they didn't have spring practice and who knows if they'll have spring practice this year so i'd be tempted to try to get some things accomplished this week that you would have otherwise gotten accomplished in the spring or would get accomplished this coming spring. Uh, spend, spend some time. You're not even thinking about Clemson or game planning, just on base Virginia Tech defense. Getting guys, you know, more familiar with, with, with the scheme. Uh, offensively, really trying to develop Hendon Hooker as a passer. There's only so much you can do in one in week. week. Yeah. Um, now, if you give those guys off, you don't get an opportunity to do that. And you may not this spring either. So, I, yeah, I wanna, I'd want i like to have them healthy, healthier. But I, 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 would, I would probably practice them this week. But I, I don't know their mental state. Like, honestly, I expect some of those guys at this point, and, and this is natural, and I can say this is part of a losing football team before. 
you know, once you reach a certain point in the season, you start to play worse, not because you've gotten worse, but because you don't have anything to play for, you're tired of losing, and you're just ready for the season to be over. Yeah. And hmm. and I think it would it would only be human nature if some of tech players felt that way right now. So and and when you feel that way you're not paying much attention to the coach. So I don't know what an extra week of practice would actually do if players are tuning coaches out and things like that. Doesn't mean they dislike the coaches or there's a lack of cohesion or anything like that. It just means that it's time to just go ahead and call it a year. Everybody take a month or two off and regain their mental focus and things like that. Um, so I'm not in there. I don't. I don't know what the mental state of the team is, but uh, you know, I, I have to believe that, especially this year, man. A lot of their friends just went home, and in this case, aren't coming back this year. That's because, right. Because you know, there's no in-person classes after Thanksgiving, so you're stuck in a small town where there's nothing to do everybody's got COVID fatigue and you're, you've lost four or five and the fan base is mad at you. And once your coach fired, these guys are not going to be a hundred percent dialed in on a daily basis from now on the rest for the rest of the season. Right. So honestly, Evan, I just hope to get another win. I hope to beat UVA. That's my only hope at this point. Yeah, not not to compare apples and oranges, but uh, I I share their fatigue. Me too, absolutely. You know, it's it, it's a grind. Um, just to cover the team is a grind. Um, I, I work seven days a week. No doubt. This is nine weeks of working seven days a week. You know, so it it uh, it it gets to me at this point of the season too. You know? And now we get basketball. Like I thought I was going to get a break this 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 week, Basketball's and then the wings. basketball schedule came out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know though. I, I always am kind of rejuvenated, and I enjoy the beginning of basketball season. Well, you don't have to cover it. Uh, <laughs> you literally just watch the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, are you actually going to be in the Coliseum this year? Do we know this yet? I could if I wanted to. Yeah. But I can see it better on TV. Like where they're going to put the media is the same spot, same place. So you sit up there and you're at an angle. You're far. You're kind of far away. There's no atmosphere in there. All post game interviews are going to be done on Zoom, so it's not like you can be around the players, which is where, which helped me always helped me in the past. Yeah, that was, my a, big, that was a big benefit. Right. That's so right. like, I can I can do everything from my house that that I could do before, and except I'll actually see the game better on TV than I would if I was there live. So I'm not going to go. It's I could actually do my job better if I. Did it at home. Yeah, and that's a four. For uh, tip off is Wednesday against Radford. Against Radford I think yes. it's like a noon game. Noon. That's it? correct. Yeah. Yep. Noon. And, and I need to. I need to update the schedules on our site. They've announced some other out of conference games, and I haven't folded them into the schedules yet. So. And then women's basketball plays uh, Richmond at four o'clock at home against Richmond at four o'clock okay. on Wednesday. Following the, Richmond, the men's game. So, all right. Final thought before we get to the questions. Um, again, well, while we took the big picture look, now looking at the rest of the season. Justin Fuente was asked on Saturday a question about um, if he would consider taking over play-calling duties, in which <laughs> he responded essentially by saying that was the most ludicrous crap he had ever heard. Next question. Given the 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 the, the offense on Saturday, and again, this is an offense that put up a lot of points early in the year. Was that a, a fair question and something you think that he would – I mean, were you surprised by the answer that he gave to that question? Uh, um. I think it's a, 
Gosh, how do I answer this? Um, I'll let Chris talk while I think about it. Honestly, I think he's frustrated and ready for it to be over, like most people. <laughs> I mean, honest, I, I think that's a like fans think they're mad after a loss, but they're they're nowhere near as angry or frustrated or whatever as coaches and players oh are gosh, and things yeah. like that. So, I I don't think he shouldn't have done it. Um, it was a fair question, but to be honest, like to me, I. It's also it, a shallow question. It, well, it's, no, it's, no insult to Mike Barber, but it's a shallow question. To, as if that's a panacea that's going to fix things, right? Like, like Pitt scored forty-seven points, and and, and if Cornelson had just called better plays, Pitt oh yeah, by gosh, it, it, it would have. Yeah, it's all. It's <laughs> always the, you know, help. It's always play calling, right? And free throw shooting, and right. <laughs> um, Cornelson's problem. Now, if 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 I were to ask a Fuente a question about Cornelson, mine would be, Coach, have your quarterbacks developed enough? Um, if Cornelson's a bad offensive coordinator, it's because his quarterbacks are limited in what they can do. That's why when it's third and seven, he just tries to run the ball to try to set up a manageable fourth down. And Fuente it, said that twice now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> because they don't trust their quarterbacks – or their receivers to execute the passing game on a third and seven, yeah. right? Meanwhile, you know, Kenny Pickett can go through three or four different progressions and just go right on down the field because Kenny Pickett has progressed throughout the course of his pit career. And I just haven't seen the progression from Virginia Tech's quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, so that that's the question that, that I would ask. It, it like uh, like Cornelson, if you have a problem with his play calling, fine, but but – He's ham he's handicapped himself in terms of play calling by his own quarterback development. Right. Like I think he's fine as a quarterback or excuse me as, as a coordinator. Um I I just have serious questions about our quarterback uh oh. development. Now is you know, it's it's like I, I don't a lot of time, I, I it's it was a frustrating comment and things like that. Right. And I and I it's he it shows some tone deafness in terms of the fan base and, and everything like that. Um, but, you know, this is just how it ends for a lot of guys. They're highly competitive people. Yeah. And they get frustrated, more frustrated than fans, I can guarantee you. And they just do stuff like that. Because, honestly, at this point, it probably doesn't matter, does it? If Well, you know, Cornelson made the play call that should have scored on third down. Yeah, you probably don't remember it, do you? Uh, I don't know. You know, it, it involved uh, Khalil, and I, I'll be I'll be honest, I haven't rewatched the game, but it involved Khalil Herbert going on going out for a pass, running parallel to the line of scrimmage. It, I, I don't remember the rest of the play. It was it was a good play call. It should have scored, but Pitt blew it up. Mm-hmm. So then you get to fourth down, just run up the middle, you know, and and. How many of those play calls you got in your pocket down there, Coach? Yeah. You know, there's not an unending stream of Well, things. here the problem with Tech's passing game is to actually complete a pass, it almost seems like he has to call a trick play. Some kind of jet sweep, mm-hmm. misdirection. It takes all of that. It takes him coming up with, with some sort of trick play to actually for somebody to get open and for Hooker to, to complete a pass. Yeah, like one of the more successful uh, passes was the old Hooker fakes like he's running. He tucks the ball away, drops back, and throws it downfield. Right, that, right, that right. That was right. a long touchdown. Ex- exactly. He didn't right. just drop back and throw that ball. There was some trickeration yeah, involved. Yeah, exactly. So, meanwhile, Kenny Pickett was just up. Oh, Get drop the snap, back, drop back, drop yep, back. Yep, here, throw a slant. You know, it's just so it's different styles, and there's only so many trick plays 
that you can call, man, or else they stop becoming trick plays, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's all about quarterback development. So never in the history of us using chat before have we been so flooded with chats that it's deleted about half of them. Wow. So uh, I just typed so in the lost chat. Some of those. Yeah. For those that asked a question early in the show, I apologize. Typically, I read the top to the bottom. But because there have been so many questions, it just cut about halfway through. So if you have a question, go ahead and ask it now. Time for our questions on YouTube. And uh, we actually, I'm going to actually have to ask Malcolm to help me a little bit. He's been monitoring the chat. There's been so many questions and comments. I want to make sure that we uh, that we can get to those here uh, on the Tech Sideline Podcast. And, and let me let me start with this because it has been asked many times in the chat. It's been talked about many times. I get to answer this on one. the podcast. I think you know where I'm going. But the word Shane, the name Shane Beamer, has been thrown around all over this chat today. And of course. You know, he's the associate head coach at Oklahoma right now, coached uh, under his dad at Virginia Tech until he retired. Will, do you see a scenario in which Virginia Tech, if there was an opening, would hire Shane Beamer? Um, I, I don't think that is the and, – and I know Chris will back me up on this. So I have two things to say about that. Number one, I don't think that's the culture in the athletic department now to to go back to anything with, with the word Beamer. And I just, I just don't think that. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but if you put that aside, let's say Witt was willing to consider it. Um, as I said earlier in the podcast, Shane's been around big-time programs. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to walk in here, and you can probably sign him to coach for $4 million a year. That's good. That's in Tech's wheelhouse. But if he has a brain, and I know Shane Beamer's got a brain, he's going to do a Greg Schiano. He's going to say, okay, now I need $7 million for a support staff and um, assistant coaches, and oh, by the way, I'm going to need better facilities than this. He's going to act like a coach who's coached at many big-time programs. So the question you're really asking me is, get over the name Beamer. His resume is as good as some other assistant coaches out there who have been at big-time programs. His resume, even though he's never been a coordinator, is, for example, similar to Brent Venables. He's been a successful assistant coach in big-time programs. He's going to ask for those things. So that's the way to think about it. Uh, I, th I think some of us, uh, you know, I have to pick carefully here. Chris and I share a perception that recruiting in Richmond was lost during the Shane Beamer era when he was responsible for it. So I'm not sure... I'm not sure that, that now he's... The, that's he's, a perception. Now, I can hit you with some facts. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, Chris can Chris can run down the numbers. Okay, so go to... You can look up uh, coaches on 247 and see their recruiting history, who they've recruited. Go back and look at the players he recruited to Virginia Tech and tell me how many of them turned out to be any good. They're almost all complete busts. Yeah. In a lot of cases, even bad people, like, like Holland, uh, Holland Fisher. Yeah. The last time we heard anything about Holland Fisher, he was he was wanted by Chesterfield County Police, yeah. right? Nigel Williams. Me, meanwhile, Cleveland Farrell came out of Richmond, went to Clemson. Went to Clemson, and, and, and there, the there, there were some other guys, uh, Another one of those Clemson safeties that Tech didn't even bother to recruit. Right. Is, out of Richmond, right? Right, out of Richmond. Yeah. Uh, Nigel Williams was a good football player that Shane recruited, but for but for the most part, man, his recruits were just busts. And and we all we always heard like I've heard from people in Richmond that Richmond high school coaches were not happy about the way he recruited. Like he he would come in and say he would come in and ask about athleticism, like forty time, uh, vertical jump. 
basically who are, who are your who best are athletes? Your best who athletes? are your Holland Fishers? Not who are your not, best not who are your good player. football players? Who are your best teammates? Who are your best people? R- r- right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, who who do you think is the best fit for Virginia Tech? Um, I, I and Shane was given a lot of a long leash by Frank. Like I've heard that the defensive staff was not in favor of recruiting Holland Fisher, but Frank said we'll just go with whatever Shane wants to do. Right, right. And I, he was given a lot of decision-making uh, freedom for Tech uh, towards the latter stages of, of his dad's career, and I don't think most of them were particularly good ones. Um, so I know when he's been – I know he's signed some some highly touted kids at Georgia and Oklahoma that went on to be good players, but that's Georgia and Oklahoma. And those were in situations where he was being managed. He wasn't being managed when he was at Virginia Tech. I think he's a good football coach when he's managed – like uh, most people. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think when he's in a situation where he's given a lot of control, as he was at Virginia Tech, he did not do as well. Um, now, on the other hand, uh, it's possible he could have learned from some of those mistakes, and you'd have to sit down and talk exactly. with him before you could figure that out. Where he would be good is, you know, at the beginning of his tenure, he would excite people. He would be good talking to the fan base. Uh, Shane's a really personable guy. I've always, you know, he was always a great interview. So he would be really good at the things Justin Fuente wasn't good at as far as that goes, right? Um, But if his recruiting at Virginia Tech was any indication, I don't think we'd win enough games. So after a few years, you, you get to the point where Maybe you feel like you need to move in a direction in a different direction, but you can't do it. How? Because how could you fire Frank Beamer's son? Right? Yeah, you think it's so, bad now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, it's one of those things where if it worked out, it would be great. It is but, high risk, high reward. Correct. Um, so, and honestly, most coaching hires don't work out. Sure. So the so when you consider that most coaching hires don't work out. He probably wouldn't work out, in which case we would have to fire Frank Beamer's son. Do you really want that? Yeah. Let's see. A couple other questions. And Malcolm, I'm going to talk to you here as we're doing this. If you see any uh, that were older or anything, please feel free to chime in as well. Um, question from uh, Justin Thomas. He wants to know, are there in all caps any positives that can be taken from this season that can translate to next season? Dorian Strong is going to be Strong. a really good player. <laughs> uh, uh, I think the the offensive line is going to be good again next year. Whether or not Darisaw comes back, the offensive line is still going to be good next yeah, year. Yeah, the, the offensive line – well, you got to keep Vance Vice, but the, but the offensive line has been – you know, you mentioned Brock Hoffman in passing. Uh, Brock had a key penalty the other day, and he's generally not one of Tech's higher graders on the offensive line, but um, I'm, I'm not – touching that guy and unless he does something egregious i'm never going to criticize that guy because i credit him with changing the attitude of the offensive yeah, line for sure pulling a phil omasian on the offensive line <laughs> phil um so i so i i like that um but you got to keep vance vice and keep that going uh I, I like what tap has done um tap has not really gotten a chance to show that he can be a good recruiter because he was here for a week. He, he a was. Month. It was nine days. He got to go out on the recruiting trail before COVID hit, and recruiting was shut down. Yeah. So, but but uh, you know, I think what he interior the strategies he and Tierlink are showing, particularly with the types of players they're recruiting at defensive end, will be beneficial to this program long term. 
uh, if those players are developed properly. Now, like I, I think Justin Beatles has a high ceiling. Justin Beatles is 6'5", 232. Is Justin Beatles going to go the Kenna Canem route, who put on a bunch of weight and a lot of muscle, and the Tur- and the Edmonds route, who put on a lot of weight and a lot of muscle, or is he going to go the Tisdale route and two years from now still going to be the exact same size he is now? So I'm excited about a lot of things if everybody buys in and they develop properly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- there were some things about this particularly. There were some things about the program this year that, that you can take as positives. For sure. Um, Joe Woodyard asks, if Chris could sit down and have a direct talk with the fan base, what's the two-minute version about the message to the fans? Oh, I can do that one. Okay. Put the camera on Will here, Malcolm. Well, look right in that camera. Have your two-minute conversation. So, (laughs) I feel awkward (laughs) staring at the camera. This is your program. It is not Justin Fuente's program. It is your program, Okay. So everybody is is wrapped up in whether or not Justin Fuente can get it done here. Should we support a program that Justin Fuente is running? Should we donate that $12.5 million that the school is going to match? Yes, you should. This is your program. It doesn't. It actually doesn't even belong to Frank Beamer. Frank built it, but it existed long before Frank, and it will exist long after Frank. And I had this same thought, you know, not, not to make this about me, but I remember in 1999 when I went full-time with Hokie Central and I requested media access and Jim Weaver said no. I remember thinking, you know what, I'll just wait. I'm going to be here long after, you know, you will. I will be here after you're gone. And you, the Virginia Tech fan base, will be here long after all of these people are gone. Justin Fuente, Justin Hamilton, Brad Cornelson, Whit Babcock, uh, Ben Hilgert, Brad Worthman. All of these people will be gone, and you, the Virginia Tech fan base, will still exist. That's my two-minute version. So support the program. Keep plugging. You know, it's, it's what we do. Don't get all discouraged and give up. Fan uh, support is our one great strength. As a program, it's a great strength of most programs, um, you know. And right, and if we give that up, then what's our strength? What does a coach have to sell? Whether it's Justin Fuente or somebody else, right? What is here doesn't belong to any of those people. It yeah. belongs to you, right? Malcolm, am I missing anything there, my friend? You got anything? By the way, yeah. welcome back, Malcolm. It's been a couple of podcasts since he's talked to the podcast. So I'm very <laughs> excited. Can we get his disembodied head? Yeah. Good. Malcolm's awesome. on the set for those watching. Are you in a Great. circle or are you in a rectangle? Just a rectangle. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Help me out here. I'm missing some questions. Help me out, Malcolm. I've got one. It's it, It's been deleted, but it's from Robert. And it says, does VT Athletics have a we don't have money problem or more of a we just don't want to spend the money or even ask for more money problem? Or is it something else? I dislike the perception that tech fans are cheap and don't support the program. Um, I think if you frame things properly and express to them what the needs are and how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be, that you can successfully engage tech fans and get them to support the program at a higher level than they currently do. Now, I think the reason an athletic department and the Hokie Club struggles with that kind of presentation because it requires you to admit that you're not where you want to be, that mm-hmm. perhaps you've made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the optics, man. Everything's fantastic. Let's all jump up and down to enter Sandman. There doesn't want to be any admission that perhaps the path we were on earlier wasn't quite the right one, and here's what we're going to do now. You have to re- recognize who you are before you can move forward. And and I think that go that goes in with that. I think tech fans are... 
I don't I don't know whether I don't know what their potential are from a fundraising standpoint. I don't know whether they're cheap. I don't know what they are because they they've never really been properly asked or educated about the subject. I mean, there's still so many fans that I talk to. Um, maybe not so much these days because you don't see many people these days. But you know, sometimes I will talk to somebody at the gym, and I'll go through all the numbers, like the f- fundraising numbers and the donation numbers and the coaching staff salary numbers and things like that. And they're like in shock. Yeah, they just don't know. They just don't know that Virginia Tech is forty second in revenue, right? And they're in the thirties or probably in coaching staff salary, and they used to be third. Um, so I think. We would have a much better idea of what the fan base is, is, is capable of doing if they, if they were educated on the matter, which we try to do. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, not everybody is a TSL subscriber. Yeah. If you're not, you should be. It's a great time to become it a, is a great time. It's, it's, to it's the season one. of giving. Yeah. Christmas gift. Yep, that's right. Um, if they were educated properly about the matter and, uh, and the apparatus, the fundraising effort, the strategies were, were, were right. And I think they're certainly not educated in the matter and – you know, I think when Tech hired Bill Lanston, they went down the wrong path. They went down the right path in some ways, like the drive for 25. I think if they had hired, if like Brad Worthman had been there with the current ideas he's got, I think he's doing a very good job with I think some that things. already be there. I think like when this program had momentum in 2016 and 2017, if Worthman had been there to leverage it, it would have gone really, things would have gone really well yeah. or better than, than they were. Now it's like you can't even leverage brad because covid so right? uh if you go back to when Witt first announced the drive for 25 he came armed with some charts that showed what percentage of tech living alumni donated to the athletic four percent what how much money they donated and and the the response from the tech fan base was shock and outrage they had no idea that they weren't supporting the program better because all they'd ever been told is that they're awesome. Well, and, and, and these graphs compared them to the other ACC schools. Yes. Right. Sorry, I, I, I kind of left that out. Like Wake Forest was like 12% and Tech fans were 4%. 4%. 4% and right. that number's since gone up to like 6% right. or, or maybe even more. You know, when, when you tell people where you are and where you need to be, they respond to it. Yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to put, you know, uh, TSL's, Hokie Central slash TSL's 25th anniversary is next, next March 12th, 2021. The first update I ever did on the website was March 12th, 1996. That's going to be our 25th year anniversary. And and I'm going to put into practice this stuff I've been talking about. At that point in time, I'm going to celebrate having been doing this for 25 years, but I'm also going to say Here's what we need to do to be around for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And I'm going to present a vision for where I want Tech Sideline to go. And I'm going to ask people to support us and help us get there. I'm going to say, here's what we do now, and here are the weaknesses in it, and here's what we need to keep this thing moving forward. You know, so so I'm not just speaking out of the side of my neck. I'm watching and learning, and I'm going to put this into practice in my own business. And I know, I know before I even do this, that the response is going to be phenomenal because people, just like they like and support Virginia Tech athletics and Virginia Tech football, they like and support Tech sideline. And, but they just, and and there's, there's a segment of people out there that their attitude is, what do you need? Just let me know what you need. 
Yeah, and that's actually some of the chat people are saying right now. If 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 the if they have a direct plan, what they need to do, people will contribute. That's what some people are saying in the chat right now. Not really a question, but a comment. So yeah, um, we are an hour and thirty five minutes. Had a feeling today would go long. So have you looked at Twitter to see if Fuente the press conference has started? And uh, what we have right now is Fuente giving the schedule of what's going to happen moving forward this week. So no Uh, controversy today yet. Uh, they're going to practice Tuesday, Wednesday. Wait, they're in the weight room today. Tech will practice Tuesday, Wednesday. Off Thursday, Friday. Meeting Saturday. Game prep for Clemson begins on Sunday. All right, so they're doing the balancing act. Do a little bit of practicing. Get some guys healthy. So let me let me tease Monday thoughts here. Uh, yeah, um, please. I, I what went, can we expect? I went uh, either Thursday, Thursday or Friday. I went and I took pictures of the Merriman Center renovations and the Student Athlete Performance Center. Um, don't mind telling you, I went over there about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I just went in and took pictures. <laughs> um, and I will put some of those in today's Monday Thoughts. I, I put them on the message board, first of all. If you're a subscriber, I put eh, close to 20 or 30 photos on the message boards. I don't want to go do a do a bald-faced out-in-front-of-everybody photo gallery, but you know, I'll, I'll put some pictures in Monday Thoughts today. And um, I don't know. Maybe I will wind up doing a photo gallery. It, it, it was... It was not an approved visit over there, so I'm, I'm a <laughs> little hesitant, ask. you know. Uh, I, I masked up, you know, and there was nobody around. But I didn't clear it. I just went in and took pictures. And and part of it was, you know what, I want to go over there and see what's going on. And I was taking pictures in the windows, and I'm like, well, the door's open. Let's just go on in. And it looks phenomenal. And Virginia Tech has not shown anybody any of this. So I'm sitting here going, you know, I guess I'll just put some pictures in today's article. It's like, how hard is it to walk down the hall with a camera and put them on Twitter? It, it took me an hour, and it took me another hour to process the photos. I don't understand why, like, that blind spot is there in the athletic department. Right, you know, yeah. and, and the response when I put the pictures on the message board was, wow, that looks really cool. Why are they not promoting this? That was a tangent I went on. I don't, so... So, you know, it's funny is we didn't know if we would have a podcast today, just given it was uh, Thanksgiving, didn't really know what this week would look like. Chris mentioned that maybe this would be an off week for him a couple of weeks ago, and clearly that's, uh, yeah, that's not basketball. the case. So, um, you know, nearly an hour and 40-minute podcast, so much to get through today. I want to thank everybody for – I think we, we we don't have the numbers, but, I mean, we still have 314 people watching Oof. right now on YouTube. Wow. Uh, we we lost half. I can't the ch- believe you'll sit and watch us for that long. I know, I know. And we, <laughs> That's and a we, long podcast. We man. lost half the chat, which never happens because there's been so many comments. So well, people aren't at work these days, man. Yeah, no, it's right. it, is, yeah. it is a week off. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank everybody well, though for the support that you give to the podcast and the and the numbers and the support and whether we do it, whatever time you you guys bring it every week in the chat. So thank you and. Um, yeah, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving this week, too. Uh, Thanksgiving on Thursday. Basketball Wednesday. Crossover season is here. And uh, I'll highlight this. Let's close with this. Great time uh, to, uh, if you have a Hokie fan in your family, make him a TSL subscriber. Great Christmas gift right around the corner. Yeah, so I guess I need to put the gift subscription link on the website and get that going. So I will do that. Perfect. Well, um, Chris, uh, for for people that have some more time off this week because it's a holiday <laughs> weekend, God, they want to read so much tech sideline content. What's it going to look like, Chris I, Coleman? I mean, apparently it's going to be your normal week for the first two days, uh, plus a basketball preview. There's, I'm not going to have time to do an inside the numbers this week. If right, I, that's yeah, fine. Uh, well, you can do it next week. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Um, well, I guess there's going to be more. There's going to be multiple basketball games next week. 
plus a Clemson game to preview, right? Uh, so we got some stuff to figure we out. We got some stuff to figure out, but there's going to be like – there's going to not be anything on Thursday. Yeah. I'm actually not going to work on Thanksgiving for the first I'm, day of my life. Yeah. So this is incredible. This is the first like Thanksgiving weekend that we haven't had a game against UVA or anybody really in a long, long time. And so uh, it, it always impacts my Thanksgiving. Is the game in Charlottesville? Should we go eat Thanksgiving dinner here? Is it down here? Should we go eat Thanksgiving dinner here? And this year it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's my kids are coming home and we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner there at our house. But it's kind of a bummer that, the well, I guess I guess the reason we have this Thanksgiving off is because of COVID. I think I, I'm, I'm betting the UVA game is scheduled for Thanksgiving. Oh, it normally would have been. Normal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that'll just about wrap things up again from everybody here at Tech Sideline. Happy Thanksgiving. I uh, hope it is spent with uh, friends and family. And of course, uh, be sure to follow us on social media. Again, hit like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. We've got 54 likes. Can we get to 60 before we sign off? Give it, give that thumbs up. Please hit subscribe at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter, at Chris Coleman uh, TSL on Twitter, and, of course, at Tech Sideline on Twitter. Well, that'll do it for us. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we will talk to you next week. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer working overtime behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 153 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, and happy Thanksgiving.